Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to episode number 106 of Thyroid Nation Radio Live, talk show and podcast. I'm Tiffany Maladnich of GratefulGarden.biz and MendingMedicine.com. Filling in for Dana Bowman this morning, founder of ThyroidNation.com. And with me today is co-host Mary Showman, the one and only. Good morning, Mary. How are you? Good morning, Tiffany. I'm so excited to be here, and uh, I got big shoes to fill with our friend Dana, but I'm thrilled to be able to to co-host with you today. (laughs) And she's off doing amazing things that will be coming up soon, the topic, and we are so excited for her, and I think the uh, Hashimoto's and thyroid communities will be super excited with what she's working on, so we're really excited for she's in the air right now. Yep, she's flying, uh, jetting her ways uh, around the country and uh, creating all (laughs) sorts of exciting new opportunities for uh, uh, folks in the thyroid community. So um, I wish her well and can't wait to hear what the new plans are going to be as she develops new and exciting projects for us all to see. I know, and it doesn't look like he's quite with us yet, uh, but uh, we have you. I mean, you're a, you are a topic in and of itself. What is new with Mary Showman and things that, uh, that you are working on? Well, I, uh, one of my latest um, news is that I'm also, in addition to working with VeryWell.com, where I've had a site for 20 years uh, talking about thyroid and hormonal health, I'm also now the uh, patient advocate writer for healthcentral.com, which is part of the Remedy Health family of sites. And I'm writing about thyroid and hormonal health for Health Central, and they're a great site, and I'm having a lot of fun uh, working with them. So lots of opportunities to, uh, you know, get the word out and keep educating people about thyroid and hormonal health. Hmm, And that's a subject in and of its own. That's a topic... (laughs) And, and guess what? It looks like he has uh, joined us and he is with us. So we are talking with microbiologist and nutritional supplement developer, Kieran Krishnan, I hope I'm saying that correct, about all things probiotics. Welcome. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for taking the time to be with us this morning. Absolutely. Very, very important topic, so I uh, take any opportunity I can get to help get the right information out there, so I appreciate the opportunity for sure. And uh, Karen, you know, with us today is Mary Showman as well, so I'm I'm uh, humbled by both of you, so thanks so much for both of you for being with us today. Of course. Hi, Mary. Nice to meet you. I've, um, Hi. Uh, Hi. Hi, I know Karen. you... Uh, you're a prolific author in this area, so great to be on with you. <laughs> Thank you. And um, I also had to mention that you and I have a good mutual friend, uh, nutritionist uh, Lisa Moretti, and um, she's been a friend of mine for years, and she has spoken so highly of you and basically has said that you are America's probiotic guru. So I'm <laughs> excited to hear more about um, what you're up to and all of these issues that we're going to be talking about, about the uh, the role of probiotics and the thyroid and the immune system 
and gut health and all this information that is so essential for people who want to have a healthy immune system and uh, deal with the repercussions of having a thyroid condition. So welcome and thank you for, for taking the time to be on with us. Yeah, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, we usually just jump right in and, you know, we want to get uh, to know you a little bit. How, what is your story? How did you get involved in health and uh, microbiology and then and end up here with probiotics? So tell us a little bit about you. Uh, that's a, it's an interesting uh, trail of a story. So I, um, I was always fascinated with science. My mom is a medical doctor, and I grew up in India and Malaysia, um, and then from high school onwards in the United States. And I was always kind of fascinated by her work. And so much so that one of her clinics, she named it in Malaysia called Clinic Hiran. And that was, um, that was one of her main medical clinics, you know. And, and as a five, six, seven-year-old, I would always go in with her and uh, kind of look and see what she was doing and helping people and fixing bodies and broken bodies. Um, so I was always a bit of a science geek, and I, and I knew I wanted to get into the field of science and medicine. Um, and when I first started college, I couldn't figure out exactly what I wanted to major in. And my second day at school, in my dormitory, they were showing a movie. You know, they had these kind of movie nights on Tuesdays or something like that. And the movie I went to was uh, the movie Outbreak with Morgan Freeman and Dustin Hoffman, um, I don't know if you remember that movie or not, but uh-huh. it was about great, a great movie. Out- yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely great movie. It's about a, an outbreak of a uh, a virus infection that came in from a, a simian mo- a monkey, and then the the people that were chasing this virus and trying to figure out how to contain it and all that were doctors and microbiologists, and that seemed really exciting to me. So I said, that's what I want to do. So the very next day, I went and signed up as a as part of the microbiology department and uh, set up as a microbiology major. As soon as I got into it, loved it, did all my postgraduate work in microbiology, molecular medicine. And I was always, during that time, a big fan of supplements and vitamins. And, you know, I was um, athletic, so I was trying to kind of do the right thing in terms of taking the right supplements and keeping up with, with health and fitness. But one of the things I noticed is that oftentimes the research just wasn't there when it came mm-hmm. to supplemental products and, and nutritional products. And looking into that further, then I find out that, you know, most clinical trials are set up the way pharmaceutical companies set up trials. And that's just way too expensive for nutritional companies to do it that way. You know, an, an average trial will cost you $250,000, right? Wow. And if you're, a, if you're a company that's selling a vitamin or a probiotic, you can't afford to do that. And so my whole goal was let me set up a clinical research organization that does smarter clinical trials, focus on nutritional products, and, and piloted trials as well. So you can kind of get an idea of what the results may look like if we did a larger scale study. So we did smaller scale studies, piloted them, and then went on to larger scale studies. So that's how I really kind of got deep into the nutritional supplement space is just by doing clinical trials on a contract basis from numerous companies. And as these companies started to come know of my work, they would also approach me and ask me to help them with formulating products, putting together scientific validation on products. So I started doing that. And then, uh, in fact, about 12 years ago, a big multinational company came to us and said, you know, 
we're really trying to expand our probiotic product line. We want to understand what's going on in the probiotic space and really understand what all these claims are, you know, more cells, more strains, 200 billion CFUs, 500 billion CFUs. Is any of that scientifically validated? And so we spent about three, four years researching the probiotic industry, studying products, looking at um, at published papers and so on. And basically we came to find out that, you know, there's a lot of misinformation in the industry. And we went back and recommended to them, you know, here are the strains that we think have the best capability of performing therapeutically in most conditions and most disease states. And um, and those were the spore-based strains. And, and the fortunate thing for us is once we got there, we got to that point, the company that we were, we were doing the work for ended up uh, getting bought up by a much larger entity. And they said, you know what, this is great information, but we're not going to make any product line changes at this time. So we'll just kind of hold on to this information. We said, you know what, this is too important. We can't let you hold on to it. We'll take it and launch products of our own. And that's really how we got into the manufacturing side of the probiotics as well. Hmm. It's really came out of dire need. You know, what we saw in our research was that there was very little true efficacy and real science going on in the probiotic space. There was a lot of marketing, a lot of noise, a lot of assumptions being made. And we said, you know what, this, we, we, that's just too much potential here for therapeutic benefit that we can't let this go. We've got to do it our, um, do it our way. And, uh, and that's how we started into the, the probiotic industry. Hmm. Kieran, um, it's Mary. I've got a, I've got a question. Um, for yeah. those of us, there are folks listening who probably think they know what a probiotic is because right. they've seen, you know, Activia yogurt or walked past <laughs> uh, the supplement aisle. And could you explain a little bit more on a basic level for people what a probiotic is and the different kinds of probiotics and why you landed on the spore-based probiotics, because they're not as familiar, to, I think, to a lot of people who might know about yogurt and standard probiotics they see on a, on a shelf, but they, they're not necessarily going to know as much about the, the benefits of different kinds of probiotics. Sure, and that's a really, really important question, and that's one of the things, actually, we started asking ourselves when we first started the research into probiotics. You know, in general, in the simplest form of probiotic as defined by the World Health Organization is a live microorganism, when administered at adequate amounts, confers a health benefit to the host. So what does that really mean? Well, it's basically a microbe that has developed a symbiotic relationship or mutualistic relationship with the host, which is us, and they go into our system and then they perform certain key housekeeping or protective functions. And these bacteria, however, in a, by the technical and scientific um, definition, should be alive. And that was one of the biggest problems that we found right off the bat in the probiotic space is that in order for a, pro, uh, a strain to actually be a probiotic, it has to be a live organism in the gut itself, meaning functioning amongst the flora in your gut as a live microorganism, thus influencing the flora in some way, um, or influencing your own immune system or your metabolic system in some way. And the vast majority of probiotic strains out there delivered in yogurts or kombuchas or um, the pill products that you can buy tend to be dead, and they don't survive through the gastric system. You know, so that was a big issue for us. 
I'll give you an example of a moment that, that kind of enlightened me a little bit. I, and one of the first things I did when I started researching probiotics is I would go into a health food store and I would say, okay, what are your best probiotics in here? And they would almost always point me towards the refrigerated section, right? Those are the best ones in, in, in the market standpoint. And I would say, well, why are they in the refrigerator? They would say, well, to preserve them, to keep the strains alive because you need live cultures. And I said, so, okay, if they're sitting on the store shelf, they would die off. And so you have to keep them refrigerated. They say, yeah, so we can't keep them on the store shelf. We have to keep them refrigerated. And I said, well, it's, you know, 70 degrees, very pleasant in the store shelf. It's 98 degrees in the body and a pH of one going through the stomach. You know, they can't survive on the shelf. How are they going to make it through? This, the, the gauntlet of the gastric system and so on. And no one ever had an answer for that, you know, and I would actually call companies and ask them that. Now, some of them would say, okay, we, we put an enteric coating on the tablet or something like that. And so we started testing all these things, and we found that most of them still die going through the gastric system. So what we have here in the probiotic industry are really two categories of bacteria. The vast majority of bacteria that people can be familiar are familiar with, like lactobacillus and bifidobacter strains, tend to be more like nutritional support for your system. So, in fact, there's a new term for them. They're called metabolic response modifiers. Because they die going through the gastric system, they can still, in some cases, have an influence on your system by just releasing their DNA into the, into the biome, into your flora, or some parts of their outer cell wall have a stimulatory effect on the gut itself. And that's kind of the same benefit you get from yogurts and kombuchas and other fermented foods as well. Those microbes in there aren't necessarily going in and living in your gut and causing a change. They're actually kind of just passing through, but their components can have a beneficial effect within the gut itself. So we realized that, and we realized these metabolic response modifiers are basically the largest category of probiotic bacteria that most people are familiar with. Then we were looking for okay, what are bacteria that can survive through this system and actually go live in the gut and create a functional change? That's where we came up with these spore-based probiotics. They're really interesting. You know, as humans, we would come in contact with them in the natural environment. Our ancestors did. Our ancestors who were hunters, gatherers, and foragers ate dirt, drank water, some rivers and streams, got huge amounts of exposure to these types of environmental bacteria. And over the course of a couple million years, we developed this amazing symbiotic relationship to them where they formed a way of protecting themselves with an armor-like coating as they go through the gastric system. Once they get past the gastric system and are in the intestines, they actually pop out of this armor-like coating. That's why they call a spore because they can form this armor-like coating. Now, once they're in the intestinal system, the first thing they do, which is fascinating, is something called quorum sensing. That's reading the microbial environment. And they find pathogenic or overgrown organisms, and they sit next to them, and they produce upwards of 25 different antibiotics in the gut in order to kill off the bad bacteria. And then they produce a bunch of compounds to regrow your good bacteria. Yeah, so they are our natural gut police. And we've given this policing job to them. We, in fact, can't do this ourselves uh, within our own system. We've actually outsourced all of this work to these crucial environmental bacteria the biggest problem we have right now in the modern world is we just don't get enough exposure to them anymore. So most of the microbes that people are familiar with, the lactobacillus strains, bifidobacteria strains, 
the way they entered into our market space is through fermentation. And they are great fermenting organisms. They break down the various substrates in whether it's kimchi or in dairy, in, in the case of yogurts and kefirs or uh, vegetables, fruits, and so on. And during that fermentation period, they produce a bunch of nutrients. And then when you consume them, they die going through the gastric system, but then some of their components can have a beneficial effect. Now, the other category are protective microbes that are environmental microbes that we're supposed to gain access to by living in the dirt, but we don't uh, get enough exposure to dirt anymore. And so we just don't have that abundance of those protective microbes in our gut any longer. So that's really what we focus on putting back into people's diets are those protective category microbes rather than the nutritional metabolic response microbes. I'll tell you, I'm in a perpetual flower field moment right there because you know the world of probiotics is so confusing for the average yep. person, and you just completely unlocked everything in terminology that's understandable to the average person. I'm I'm so grateful personally, honestly, because probiotics can be very daunting for people. You know, they're like, oh God, I know they're beneficial, they but you know, oh, I grabbed this and and you know, I either didn't notice a difference or you know, I hate to throw a TMI in there or I started pooping like a goat or, I mean, you hear so many things going around or I got a stomach ache or, you know, or even their practitioner not necessarily understanding what they're, what they're giving to the person. You know, not everyone does functional right. testing and, and, and all of these things. So I am just grateful. That was the most fabulous, literally you knocked off like 25 questions of mine just as you were talking. So. <laughs> Excellent. Well, perfect. Yeah, you know, my recommendation to people always is that the most important microbes to get into your system are these protective microbes because we need that function on a daily basis. And we could talk about how they protect against things like autoimmune disease, like thyroiditis um, or, and leaky gut, the big driver of autoimmune disease. So those are the important ones that we're trying to get back into people's diet. The other category of bacteria, the ones that most people are, are familiar with, you really don't need to take them in supplements. You know, you really don't need the refrigerated form. There's no additional benefit for going through all of that hassle of buying the more expensive refrigerated form, trying to keep it cold in your house and all of that stuff. In fact, there's been studies that have taken those very strains, heat killed them, and delivered them into patients and found that the dead versions actually work better in some cases than the live versions. <laughs> Wow. You know, and, and so, yeah, so it just kind of blows up the the conventional thinking behind how those particular bacteria work. So with those category, with that category of bacteria, it's almost better just to get them from your fermented foods, you know, because then mm -hmm. not only are you getting the components of the bacteria, but you're getting all of those wonderful substrates that ha that are created during the fermentation process itself. You know, the fermentation process being the breaking down of those macronutrients in whatever the vegetables or the dairy that's being fermented, um, and then the releasing of things like vitamins, minerals, nutrients, and then the recreation of new vitamins, minerals, and nutrients by the bacteria itself. So I would say get your environmental spore-based bacteria as a supplement, and then get your lactone bifidus strains in the form of fermented foods, and and you're doing your um, your gut a tremendous benefit by doing that. Mm -hmm. Well, Kieran, can can you give us some of those specifics about what the spore-based uh, uh, probiotic 
are actually doing in terms of the gut that are, that's going to benefit our health. I mean, you talked about this policing and, and cleanup and uh, process, but what specifically is going on that makes it so beneficial for people with leaky gut or autoimmune or immune uh, imbalances and dysfunctions? Yeah, so that's a really important question, and, and we're doing a number of studies. So right now I'm, I'm involved in seven clinical trials that we're doing right now to help answer those questions. But we, the good news is we already have a good amount of data to really understand what exactly they're doing in the system. So what's fascinating about these strains is they go in, as I mentioned, they do their quorum sensing. So they start to fix the imbalance between good and bad bacteria, which is really the key driver of most of the mm-hmm. immune dysfunctions, the dysfunction in the lining of the intestine, which allows for leaky gut, and then that leaky gut leads to chronic activation of the immune system, chronic inflammation, which then all of that um, activates the autoimmune process. So all of it is this cascade that starts with that initial dysbiosis. And again, dysbiosis, that term means an imbalance of good and bad bacteria. And we don't, as you know, as I mentioned before, within our own system, we don't have an effective way of balancing out the good and bad bacteria. We need other microbes to do that for us. So that's the first thing that they do is they fix that imbalance, that's, and that's really important. Now, the second thing that they do is they start um, shoring up that lining of the intestine. So the lining of the intestines is made up of intestinal cells. They call them intestinal epithelial cells. But they're basically intestinal cells that, that separate the gut contents from the blood. And, um, and that is a really, really important barrier. On top of that barrier, to add more protection, we've got this wonderful mucus layer, right, that's a, it's supposed to be a thick, dense mucus layer. That helps protect that lining from things like bacteria and toxins and food particles and all that would go in and perturb that lining and cause disruption and inflammation. So what we're supposed to have within a healthy system is a really well-balanced flora. And then below that well-balanced flora, we have a really good, hearty, thick mucus layer. And then below that, we've got really dynamic, well-functioning intestinal cells that act as the barrier. So that, that's the three steps that are, are the three parts that are extremely important to maintaining a healthy immune system, to maintaining a healthy metabolism um, and preventing leaky gut that then drives autoimmunity. What's fascinating about these strains is they fix that first part, the imbalance of good and bad bacteria. Now we also know that they produce very high levels of butyrate in the gut. So they increase butyrate, which is a short-chain fatty acid, only produced by bacteria in the gut, um, increase that by about 40%. That butyrate stimulates cells in the intestinal lining called goblet cells, to produce more healthy versions of this mucus layer. So they shore up the mucus layer, which tends to get broken down when you have too many bad bacteria within your gut. So as that mucus layer gets broken down, it makes the whole thing more permeable to toxins and all that. So that mucus layer acts as a very, very important barrier. We need to make sure that that mucus layer is always healthy, dense, thick, has the right types of immune cells, all of that is controlled in large part by these short-chain fatty acids like butyrate, and these spores produce very high levels of those butyrate, uh, with, of butyrate itself. Then the next part is the actual spaces in between those intestinal cells. 
Now, we have studies that show that these spores can actually get into the system and stimulate our own body to increase the production of proteins that keep the cells tightly closed together and not allowing them to be open and leaky. So they actually fix the intestinal damage and the intestinal cells that tend to get damaged by inflammation and toxins and all these things that are entering our system on a daily basis. They regenerate these cells. They have them express a protein, so they all line up next to each other really tightly and well-bound, and they're dynamic. So they can open up when nutrients need to go through, but then they stay closed when, when we don't want things like bacterial toxins and viral components and all that to leak through. So they shore up that entire system. In fact, there was one study done. This is an animal study because you can't do these kind of studies on humans, but they looked at the histology, so the tissue samples after administrating these spores in intestinal villi, villi are the finger-like projections in the intestines, and what they found is that we can increase the height of the microvilli by adding mm. these spores, wow. right? And it's the microvilli that give the intestines the surface area that's so important for absorption, function of the immune system, and all of that. It's one of our most important protective mechanisms and these, um, these spores actually increase the production and the growth of those intestinal uh, components, the microvilli that are so important. So they actually help us regenerate our intestinal cells and fix the damage in our intestinal lining. Uh, so it's really amazing that housekeeping role that they play in continuing to fix and re, um, reestablish our intestinal lining our mucus layer, and then the proper balance in the flora itself. So far, these are the only strains that we've ever seen or that have ever been published that has been shown to do this kind of work. Wow, that's amazing for, you know, so many things that go beyond autoimmune, celiac, you know, uh, autism spectrum, the whole, I mean, just, it's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, and your metabolic disorders, right? We now yeah. know that, that the disruption in the, um, in the lining and then the, the constant immune activation because of that leads to diabetes, leads to obesity, is the number one factor in heart disease, um, is one of the top factors in Alzheimer's, senile dementia, um, is also the, uh, the biggest driver of anxiety, depression, and other mood disorders, and as you mentioned, autism spectrum disorders. All of it is being driven by the breakdown of those three parts of the system, the, the flora, the mucosal layer, and the intestinal cell line. And these strains seem to improve all three of those. You know, and in a study that we're publishing in the next month or so, we saw that the, that the improvements occurred in as little as 30 days, you know, to wow. a point where it was a completely protective system in 30 days, you know, going from a non-protective system to a protective system in just 30 days. And uh, that study is being published in in the uh, World Journal of Gastrointestinal Pathophysiology, which is a mouthful, but um, it is a good high-impact journal. Um, And in fact, they've never seen this kind of data that they approached us and said, we would like to to publish this as a frontier paper meaning it's, it's, it's new science, new research, right. you know, so it, it was very exciting. So if we can fix that layer, it goes a real long way to curbing the risk and the symptoms and the progression of so many of these diseases, certainly every one of the 100 uh, known autoimmune diseases. Wow. Well, and it almost sounds like the spore has the ability to read the host, which would 
uh, eliminate uh, individuality needs, correct? I mean, it sounds like the score has the ability to kind of look around and see what's going on and, and help to encourage the ones that are needed in that particular environment. Mm-hmm. Did, did I hear that right? Absolutely. Now, I'm so glad you brought that up because that, that, that's a really um, intelligent insight because one of the big problems we have with the conventional probiotic product is that it's really hard to understand which of those commensal bacteria people have or don't have right. or need. So, right. So if you have a product, for example, with um, lactobacillus acidophilus, which most uh, conventional probiotics have acidophilus, right. we don't know if you as a person needs more acidophilus or don't need more acidophilus, right? We don't know if adding more acidophilus into your system is actually going to throw an imbalance in your system. Right because these are unique commensals that we were supposed to get from our mom. We don't typically get them from the outside world. Now, the spores have a very interesting role because they are called keystone strains. As keystone strains, they are uh, present in everybody's microbiome, and they tend to be present in everybody's microbiome at around the same level. And what's interesting about them is that they have that capability of going in and kind of identifying what is wrong with your particular microbiome and doing the fixing, you know, and we ourselves don't know how to do that right now. You know, we don't have the science and the technology to, to do that kind of customized fixing of the biome, but these spores know how to do that. And, and, and I think in part it's because of the couple million years of relationship that we have with them, you know, and mm-hmm. um, it, it's fascinating. There's glacial ice core studies that have pulled environmental samples from three to five million years ago uh, to examine what the environment was like at that time, and what they find is very high abundance of these particular spores. And these spores that they found in the glacial ice cores are about 95% genetically similar to the ones that are today. So, you know, they, they're the same probiotics our ancestors got from just eating dirt and being human, uh, you know, that wow. we just, we don't get anymore. Yeah, it's absolutely fascinating. Oh, and to... Uh, as another point, the ones that they found in the glacial ice cores were still alive. They could still plate them, um, you wow. know, so they were preserved for two, three million years. Yeah, it's insane. Amazing. Um, Kieran, uh, I have a question because what I'm, what if I'm understanding it correctly, what you're saying is that in somebody does not have to go and spend a fortune having a comprehensive gut dysbiosis analysis done i mean the old uh you know the, the, the great smokies kind of test where you know we're spending hundreds of dollars mm-hmm. for them to tell us exactly what kind of imbalance and dysbiosis and what bacteria are missing and which bad bacteria are overgrown etc you're saying that really you can bypass that and just go to a spore-based probiotic with the knowledge that it is going to customize itself to whatever is going on in your particular gut uh, microbiome? Absolutely. Going back to basics and going back to the sim- simplicity of things, you know, we add back these, these gut policing strains like the spores, and then we, we improve our diets. And between the two, our microbiomes tend to reset and fix itself. You know, it's an, it's an ecology in the microbiome, and, and it doesn't really need our specific meddling as much. What it needs is for us to put it into the native condition that it's supposed to be in, and then the flora figures out a way to balance itself out. And that's what we typically see because once you change somebody's diet, once you diversify their diet, remove the processed foods, remove the preservatives, 
the excessive amounts of sugar, you start to see those natural changes in the microbiome where it starts to revert towards the way it's supposed to be originally, right? And outside of all the perturbations we've caused by the poor lifestyle that we have. And then you add the spores, and then they go in and further police and fix it. You know, and the thing with the stool testing and all that is that, it, you know, it might give you some clue, but we've never used it in a clinical study because in our testing, and, and for the most part, you'll you look at clinical researchers who do studies in this space, and they'll tell you that the consistency of the data in the stool tests are really poor. And, uh, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One of the things is that um, even even if you look at any one of the manuals of the, of these companies that do the stool testing, um, it, it basically shows that the, the stool test is really a sampling of the distal colon, right? And it's really the end part of the colon. Um, it's not a good sample of the transverse colon, the ascending colon. It's not a, it's certainly not a sampling of the small intestine. Mm-hmm. So you're really kind of getting a snapshot of one part of the intestinal li- uh, tract. The other thing is, in stool, the bacteria are not homogenous. So the, the, the results you're getting are really the results of that sample in the stool. If you sampled a different portion of the stool, the results could be quite a bit different because, again, the intestinal micro, microbiome is not homogenous, and so the distribution of bacteria in the stool is not homogenous, right? So that's why, we, you know, I'll tell you, I'll give you an example of how we tested this. One, one of the clinical trials we did with leaky gut, we wanted to see if we could do a stool testing component to it. So what we did is we took five people and we gave them a stool test every day for five days. And we sent that data off to a biostatistician and said, okay, match up the stool test with the individual without, you know, giving them names and all that, of course, just the data. And if Uh you took five stool tests in yourself five days in a row, you'd expect to see some consistency over those five tests, right? And the biostatistician could not match up anything. Because the wow. data oh, wow. happened to be just so random. Yeah. He was pulling out his hair and he said, I, I don't know, I can't make any sense of this data. It's all over the place. You know, and so we said, all right, we cannot include it in our clinical trial because then it just gives us, it doesn't give us anything to work with. And so, you know, the stool test can kind of give you some clues and, and could be interesting for people to see, but it's really not that helpful in terms of figuring out exactly what's wrong, what's overgrown, what should be there and shouldn't be there. The other thing is everybody's microbiome is unique, you know. So what's what may be normal for your stool right. may be completely abnormal for someone else's. So it's just too hard to, to to grab that. That can come all the way down to genetics and all. I mean, this is just so fascinating for me. I can't even tell you. And it makes so much sense, the spore being able to read uh, the situation and how we just we got that from dirt and different things of exposure that read the individual. We don't do that anymore. When you think about it, I mean, I'm sitting right. in 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 an area right now that's you know clean and I don't have any exposure to all of these things. It makes so much sense. It's it's just fascinating. Your job is fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> it is, you know, and the beauty of it is we learn more and more each each time. Like one of the studies we're doing right now is on uh, low testosterone. 
And, you know, it's, it's becoming an epidemic when men over the age of 40 start experiencing very low production of testosterone. So hypogonadism is the, is a fancy term for that. But, right. you know, you see it all over the commercials, right? All over TV, low T, low T. And that's of course, new drugs for all of this. And the question is, well, why is it that all of a sudden we're producing such low months of testosterone right. as we age? Well, as it turns out, it's because of leaky gut. You know, leaky gut causes chronic immune activation. The way the body is designed is that when your immune system is chronically activated, especially the inflammatory side of the immune system, it shuts down testosterone production. Those Mm -hmm. are antagonistic systems in our body, right? So what we're finding out is as we age, our microbiomes are getting worse and we're getting more and more leaky, and we tend to be chronically immune activated, especially the inflammatory side, and that is slowly shutting down testosterone production. So we're starting to see that if we just fix that leaky gut and fix that chronic immune activation, testosterone production goes back up. So we don't have to do all the hormone injections and all that stuff, you know, that that, uh, that can also cause numerous side effects. So it's fascinating the things we're seeing on on a daily basis. And that's why we have seven clinical trials, because the moment we start one, we start to see another effect while we're doing one clinical trial. And we're like, we need to study that. <laughs> so we jump in and do a whole separate clinical trial for this new effect that we're seeing. And um, it's really, really an exciting time. One of the things I always tell people is this day right now is the most exciting time to be alive as a human because we're finally starting to understand how the human body works. You know, um, 99% of all metabolic function in our body, all of the chemistry, biochemistry, that's going on every single minute of every single day is coded for by bacterial DNA, right? So bacterial DNA contributes 99% of everything that happens in our body every day. Our own DNA contributes about 1% of that daily. So think about all of these years of medical research and scientific study on the human body. We've been looking at 1% we are finally tapping into the other 99% of ourselves and finally starting to understand how this body of ours works. And it's super exciting. You know, and a great example of that is Parkinson's disease, right? So just in the last two months, a study was published that shows a really direct um, tie between the gut microbiome and onset of Parkinson's. So Parkinson's, a chronic incurable disease for all of these decades, in three to five years, may be cured by a simple probiotic. Wow. So it's that wow. exciting, you know, the time that, that we're and in. And I think any, any you know, uh, hypothyroid can understand the relationship between leaky gut and brain fog and the potential of mm-hmm. Alzheimer's, you know what I mean? To I have yeah. days I have more brain fog than others, and, of course, leading us right into metabolic endotoxemia and why food is the most toxic thing we can do. I can be mentally clear as a bell and eat something, and an hour later I'm like, who's on first? And you know what I mean? It's (laughs) fascinating to me, you know. (laughs) So talk about metabolic, yes, please. Metabolic endotoxemia, yeah. So that is the ground zero of all health disorders. And as you said, food becomes the most toxic thing that, that we do on a daily basis. And the, the crazy thing about it is that if you experience metabolic endotoxemia, you know, it happens both with good food and bad food. It happens right. worse with bad food. Uh, but even if you're eating healthy, you still get that endotoxic response. So 
to break down what that is exactly, it basically means um, a huge amount of toxicity after eating a meal. And we can measure that, right? So that's why it's called metabolic endotoxemia or postprandial endotoxemia, postprandial meaning after a meal. And we actually, you can measure this, and it's defined by a high amount of LPS. LPS is this really interesting toxin that's found in your digestive tract. The reason why it's found in your digestive tract is that it's a component of the cell membrane of gram-negative bacteria. So every bacteria in the world can be, can be categorized as either gram-negative or gram-positive. What that means is not actually important. But the important thing is gram-negative bacteria have this little toxin component in their membrane. Now, while it's sitting there in their membrane, it's not harmful to us in any way, shape, or form. In fact, bacteria use it as binding proteins, as ways of signaling to one another. That's really the function that it's there for. The, what, when, when it becomes a problem is when that bacteria dies. So when that cell dies, and the, the cell opens up, then it releases this LPS out of the membrane. Now this LPS is out on its own, and now it acts as a toxin. And this LPS is, again, in the digestive tract because about 70% of the bacteria that exists in your digestive tract, and again, these are your good commensal-friendly bacteria, but they just happen to contain this toxin in their membrane. These bacteria are the ones that contain this toxin. So the vast majority of bacteria within your gut actually have this toxin. Now, when you bring in food, the process of digesting food, release of bile salts, release of pancreatic enzymes, the stomach acid, all of these things, and just the components within food itself and the preservatives and so on, they start to cause a die-off in the bacteria within your gut. And once that bacteria starts to die off, it releases all of this LPS, endotoxin. Now, if you don't have a healthy microbiome, to neutralize it, and then you don't have a healthy mucus layer, and then you don't have a healthy um, intestinal cell line, this LPS can actually trickle through, get to the intestinal cell line, and cause massive amounts of inflammation. When you get that massive amount of inflammation, the intestinal cell lines open up, and then the LPS and other toxins leak to into your blood system. So what the way you can test it is, uh, in, in our clinical trial, what we did is we took um, subjects that came in. They came in in a fasted state. We would give them what we call a challenge meal. So it happens to be a high-fat, high-caloric meal, the fat being bad fats. Um, this was a McDonald's breakfast, so you can imagine not good fats at all um, and very oxidized fats in, in particular. Uh, so it's a high-caloric, high-fat meal, fast food meal in particular, so we give them the meal, and over the next three to five hours, we pull blood samples to look for this gut toxin in the blood. And so what we find is that within five hours, we see a 600% increase in the, present, in the amount of toxin in the blood compared to before eating. 600%, right? And all of these inflammatory cytokines, all of the ones that are associated with autoimmunity, like interleukin-17 and interleukin-22, all of these go up with the increase in toxicity in the blood. Now, the studies previous to ours have shown that it takes the body almost two weeks to recover from that single meal in terms of the inflammatory wow. condition that it's set up, right? Two weeks. That's just wow. you don't eat anything for two weeks. Yeah, so it's, <laughs> it's mind-blowing, so, which means that you never recover from it. So every time you eat, you get this five, 600% increase in toxicity, 
these toxins actually have the capability of entering the um, the blood system and going past the blood-brain barrier and actually embedding themselves in the blood-brain barrier and in the in the brain itself in places like the amygdala where they cause massive amounts of inflammation that lead to the memory loss and the brain fog and the low levels of cognitive function. So that's why you can feel that after eating a meal. These same things actually go in and disrupt the function of serotonin in the CNS or the production of dopamine, which then uh, causes mood imbalances and anxiety and depression and so on. It can embed itself into joints, causing all types of um, joint issues, rheumatoid arthritis, um, it can even get into uh, the dorsal root ganglias of the nerves and cause chronic pain in your back and things like that. So it has a real disruptive effect in your body. So imagine every time you eat food, you're taking in a little bit of poison with it, you know, and that poison stays in your body for two weeks. <laughs> so every time you eat, you're re-adding two weeks worth of poison in your system. That's metabolic endotoxemia. It's so scary. You know, and, and, so and it's, un, it's unavoidable for most people because the only way to avoid it is to not eat food, and we can't not eat food, right? Right, and, and this, so this is what explains how people can feel that way, you know, even with healthy foods and, of course, chronic illness because mm-hmm. if you're just repeating that behavior, that's, that's where that consistent problem is coming from. Let me, let me ask you, I'm going to go out on a limb here, okay? Yeah. So in a healthy gut, I, it's funny because I have this little mental picture of this little spore going into my gut and going, doo, 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 doo. okay, so this needs more here, <laughs> yeah. that needs more there, this needs more there. So let me go on a limb here. If the gut is healthy and this spore is keeping this job done and everything in balance, correct, it has mm-hmm. the ability to, mm, let me let me figure out how to actually say this. So all of these things that we're told not to eat, okay, you got to I don't know if you've dealt with many Hashimoto's, but if we listen mm-hmm. to everybody, right, literally there's nothing we can eat. <laughs> right. We yeah, can't exactly. eat dairy. Yeah. We can't eat gluten. We can't eat this. We can't eat that. So many of these people don't eat. It's, it's frightening. It's depressing. And it's taken all of the joy out of food, which no matter what culture you're from, food is a central of mental health and community and family mm-hmm. and, and everything, right? So if this spore is doing its job, then we have the ability to eat most things. Am I hearing that right? You're absolutely right. You know, I always tell people that humans are omnivores, right? We evolve eating everything. Um, Like, for example, a a lion is an obligate carnivore. A lion cannot eat a plant, and and they only eat meat. Uh, of course, then we have herbivores that only eat plants and cannot eat meat. Humans are omnivores. We eat everything, and we're designed to be able to eat everything. So we are um, we are already perturbing the system by, by going down to these really, really narrow diets um, because not only does it affect your lifestyle and, of course, like you said, takes the joy out of all of the social aspects of eating and all the joy of tastes of foods and things like that, but it also does end up hurting the microbiome in the long run because the more narrow your diet is, the less diversity you end up having in the microbiome, which then makes the microbiome weaker in general, right? So really the goal is to go back to eating a large variety of foods. Now with the spores, they do exactly that. They fix the system that's required to protect the host 
from any sort of negative impact from eating food. And that's what we're publishing in the study. So what we did, you know, as I mentioned, we took the subjects. The subjects were healthy young college kids, right? So the average age was 22, so they went from 18 to 31. And we took 100 of these kids and we gave them this McDonald's breakfast in the morning. Um, And then we measured their blood afterwards. Now, 55% of them had this endotoxic uh, response, right? So imagine... 55% 55% of healthy, young college kids, no diseases, no symptoms or anything, um, not overweight of normal weight, have this metabolic endotoxic response to eating, eating that food in particular. The other 45%, however, did not have the response. So their microbiome is protecting them from even that McDonald's breakfast, right? So, so then the question is, can we convert the microbiome to that protective version so that the other 55% actually has the protective function of the microbiome. So we gave them the, the spores for 30 days, and then they came back and we redid the same test. 100% of them, 100% of the ones that had the metabolic endotoxic reaction had no more endo, endo, metabolic endotoxic reaction. Wow. Completely wow. blunt. Yeah, no wow. more detectable toxins in their system after eating that meal. So the microbiome converted completely from being non-protective, allowing this toxicity after the meal and all the inflammation problems that go along with it to being completely protective and, and not only uh, preventing the, the um, concentration and uh, increase in toxin in their system, but all of these 17 inflammatory cytokines that we measured, all of those went down to normal levels. And all of them were elevated in these people, right? It's it's incredible to us. We did not expect in 30 days for that to happen. That's part of why this is being published as a frontier paper because nothing's ever been shown to have this kind of effect. Now, what's interesting is you keep in mind that those 55% at this point in their life, they're perfectly fine and healthy and symptom-free, or at least they think they're healthy. But something is brewing inside their body, this constant chronic toxicity from eating food, that is the same 55% that in their 30s, 40s, and 50s will develop diabetes, autoimmune disease, Hashimoto's, Graves, and so on, right? All of those things come on because of those 10 years of continuous toxicity. And think about being able to reverse that and, and revert their microbiome to a protective microbiome so that you can eat whatever you want and not really be that, um, you know, not, not hurt your body in that way. You know, we don't encourage people to, con- to eat, you know, McDonald's breakfast every day, but um, at least we know that even in that extreme case of the right. worst kind of food meal, the, the spores can go and protect your body and, and eliminate that response. So, yeah, absolutely. That's the function. That's the important function of the spores is getting the microbiome and that, that layer, that mucus layer and the intestinal layer back to a protective uh, function so that it protects you against the most basic thing we have to do, which is eating food. Wow, Karen, let's um, mm. let's let's sort of lay out a couple of key things for the listeners because we've got a lot of thyroid patients that are listening mm-hmm. and interested in what you're having to say. I mean, I'm ready to buy a bottle of for me too probiotics. <laughs> by, you know, right after the after the interview is done. <laughs> Uh, I'm ready to rush right out and start immediately. Um, But what, you know, if we had to boil it down to a couple of action points for Mm -hmm. the listeners, what would you recommend that they could start doing right away 
to get to this place where they have that protective uh, system in place, the immune uh, response? I mean, are there changes in the diet? I mean, thyroid patients are dealing with mm-hmm. brain fog, and fatigue, and weight gain, and inability to lose weight. And, you know, so those are some of the key challenges that a lot of us are right. facing. So what would you have us do and, and start doing right off the bat to get back on, into, on track and get back into balance? Yeah, so right off the bat, there are two very important categories for people to focus on, and they can make changes immediately. The first one is uh, we need to stop perturbing the microbiome, right? So all the things that we do in this modern world that continues to mess up the microbiome and causes that imbalance of good and bad bacteria, the second part are dietary changes. So let's take the first part first, the perturbation of the microbiome. The things that are most common in our world that tend to cause uh, daily disruption in the microbiome, which then negates its ability to be protective, are um, processed foods. So any sort of preservative in foods, the things that keep processed foods from going bad on the shelf are the same things that will get into your system and mess up your microbiome. So eating mm-hmm. fresh, raw, normal foods like from from your local farms and and our farm stands and things like that becomes extremely important and, and trying to eliminate or reduce processed foods becomes really, really important. The other thing is going organic. And although that sounds, you know, um, like the fun hippie thing to do, go organic, the benefit of it is the reduction in exposure to glyphosate. You know, glyphosate is that um, is, a, is a weed killer that everybody knows. Right, Roundup. Um, yeah. uh, Roundup, exactly. And, and glyphosate has one of the biggest impacts on the microbiome when you start looking into the research. Um, And it's really all over the food, and it cannot be washed off of the food. So even if you're buying just the regular groceries, the produce and vegetables, and you're washing it, soaking it in, you know, apple cider vinegar, whatever it may be, if it was sprayed on there, which it likely was, it's not coming off. And it it disrupts them. Yeah, it disrupts the microbiome in a great, uh, in a tremendous way. So going organic at least minimizes your exposure to glyphosate. Um, And then the other thing is around your household, you know, personal care items are the biggest chemical exposures that we get on a daily basis. The lotions we use, the soaps we use, the shampoos, perfumes, all of these things, most of them contain um, really harsh chemicals that have been shown to actually disrupt the microbiome, not only on your skin, but on your inside as well. So I I always recommend to people to start looking at the most natural versions of personal care products like deodorants, shampoos, soaps, lotions, and so on. It it may seem like a little thing, but it goes a really long way to dis, uh, at, in disrupting your your microbiome and your flora, both on your body and inside your body as well. You know, one of the things I always explain to people is, imagine your your body is a is a garden, right? And and that's really what we are. We're a walking, talking rainforest. We are an ecology. Mm. We are a collection of thousands of different organisms that are working together in order to perpetuate the the wellness of the whole. And so if you imagine your body as a delicate garden with all these wonderful, beautiful plants, would you smear your lotion that you have with all the chemicals in it on those plants? You know, would you go out to your actual garden and and dump your shampoo on it that you typically would are using that have all these chemicals in it? You know, would you put the personal care products that you use in your soil to help your plants grow? You wouldn't, you know, because you know that it would probably destroy those plants. 
right? And and that's a simple experiment to do. Just if you have a small garden, if you have a potted plant, just dump your sh- just dump your shampoo in there and see right. if the plant ends up growing or dying, right? And if your plant can't survive in it, your body's not going to do well in it because your body's also made up of microbes like the plant is. And so clean up those personal care products. Go as, as clean and pure as you can with those. And there's so many good options out there. If you just search, start searching online, the other thing is how you clean your house. The environment that you live in makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. Um, studies have shown that using chlorine or Clorox-based cleaning products increase immune dysfunction, have households with kids that have much higher um, asthma, allergies, and viral infections than households that do not use chlorine-based products. So forget that whole idea of sanitizing your home. You don't have to mm-hmm. sanitize your home. You know, all I use in my cleaning uh, products at home is a, a bottle of water, and I put a few drops of some essential oil, and that's what I clean the, the countertops and surfaces with. I don't try to sanitize my home because that's actually not good for you. That can have a huge impact on your microbiome. So that's the first part, eliminating the things that perturb your microbiome. You know, again, all the chemicals in the foods, um, the chemicals on your body, and the chemicals in your home itself. Uh, and if you are using Roundup in your home to, to get rid of weeds, please get rid of it because it absolutely gets into your system and disrupts it. The second part is the diet. One of the biggest things and the hardest things to, for Hashimoto's patients especially is to increase the nutrient source in the diet. Early humans consumed up to six to 800 different species of, uh, uh, sorry, six to 800 different types of foods on an annual basis. Um, wow. You know, because we were hunters, gather, gatherers, and foragers, right? We basically ate what we could find, and we ate small amounts of a lot of different things. And so that's really how our microbiome evolved, is to consume a, a vast variety of macronutrients. The average American eats around 15 different types of foods on an annual basis, right? Most of our uh, foods are made up of soy, wheat, um, corn, or some other grain, that's the base of it. And then we might add some chicken or fish or beef to it. And then some people eat about three or four or five vegetables or fruits that they typically like. You add all that up, it's about 15 to 20 different foods. And so we're really hurting the diversity and the strength of the microbiome by having very low diversity in terms of the types of foods that we're feeding the microbiome. So one of my recommendations to people is go to an ethnic grocery store. You know, go to a a Chinese market, go to a Middle Eastern market. You'll find roots and tubers and vegetables there that are different than you'll you'll find at Whole Foods or your normal grocery stores. And just eat small amounts of it a couple of times a week. You don't have to make whole meals out of these things. The whole idea is to eat a little bit of a lot of different things. And that's how the microbiome functions. So that's the the best thing you can do for your diet is increasing the diversity of diet and removing the processed foods out of the diet. And you'll start to see a huge impact on your microbiome, then cleaning up your environment, your personal care products, your home cleaning products. And if you can get a dog, um, it, it, it sounds simple (laughs) enough, but inside outside animals like dogs have been shown to actually increase the, uh, the improve the immune function of, everybody in the household where the dog lives because they go out wow. and they bring, yeah, dirt and microbes and all that into the household, which become really mm-hmm. important because, again, we don't get enough exposure to these things, right? So, so the way dogs smell, if people don't know, is they blow out of their nose first, 
and that elevates all the smell particles in the air, and then they inhale it to, to smell it and, and kind of discern all the, the different smells. So what they're doing is they're, when they're smelling and sniffing the ground, they're blowing the dirt up and all the microbes, and then they're inhaling all, that micro, all those microbes and dirt particles. And then when they come back in the house and they sniff around, they blow all that stuff all out into your house. You know, so they are bringing the outside in and improving mm-hmm. the, the, the ecology of your house itself. So those are two important things. And then take the spores, and the spores will do the fixing part for you but you want to reduce the damage that you're doing by, by those two categories, you know, the diet changes and then the lifestyle changes. Right. I now, are there to... any, Oh, go ahead. Tip. Go ahead, Mary. No, no, go ahead. Hon. No, I... Okay. I was going to say just, are there any guidelines for people? Um, I know that um, you folks have this four based probiotic mega four probiotic. Do we take it in the morning or in the night? Do we have to worry about taking it with other medicines or foods or anything? What I mean, are there any kind of guidelines or is it pretty much safe to take a certain amount every day and, and go on with our day? Yeah, that's so that's a very important question. Um, we actually, so the, the full dose of the, of the Megaspore product is two caps a day taken at the same time with any meal of the day. So you always want to take it with food. However, with most um, autoimmune patients, we taper the dose up slowly because we want to get their body, their system used to the presence of the, of the bacteria because one of the first things the bacteria is going to do, as I mentioned before, is they'll go in and start killing off bad bacteria and fungus and you know, things like candida. And when these microbes and all that die off, they will release toxins, and, and that can be, um, you know, uncomfortable to some people. You might get, like, cramping or bloating symptoms and things like that temporarily. So to minimize or eliminate those things, we taper people up. So we start them at one capsule every other day for the first mm. week, and then the next week you go to one capsule per day. And if once you bump up the dose, if everything feels good and comfortable, then you're totally fine. Do that for another week. And then by the third week, try the two capsules at once per day. And if for some reason when you bump it up, you feel a little cramping, bloating, a little discomfort in the gut, just bump it back down and stay at that lower dose for another week before trying it again. So everyone will have kind of slightly different level and, and, um, and speed at which they can get to the full dose. About 80% of the people that take it can start with the full dose on the first day and be totally fine. But typically, we find people with, with really ser- serious autoimmune conditions, inflammatory conditions. It's best to taper up that dose that way. Okay, so I have two questions for you. One is the yeah. simple one. Is this, is this prescribed only through a practitioner, or can the average bear buy it somewhere? Ah yes, so so this uh, that's a very important question. So yes, Megaspore is only pre- prescribed through a practitioner. Um, so either your practitioner carries it, or you can go on the website, which is microbiomelabs.com or gomegaspore.com, either one of those, and you can find a practitioner in your area by entering your your um, zip code. Now we do have um, a retail version of Megaspore called Just Thrive Probiotic. What we've done with that is lowered the dose in the product so that everybody can start at one cap a day and be totally fine. So that's just a one cap a day product, which is, which is um, easy to do, simple to do, and anyone can get that either at you know, stores like Vitamin Shop, your local health food store, or even on Amazon or the web directly. So that's called Just Thrive Probiotic. That's the retail version. So if your practitioner doesn't carry it or there isn't a practitioner near you that carries Megaspore, you do have access to the retail version 
which is just Thrive Probiotic. As I mentioned, the dosing is different. Um, it's not as strong as Megaspore, but it'll still kind of give you the same same effect. And you could start that at one capsule a day. Awesome. Okay, now two more questions you made me think of. So yeah. my first question is, so I can picture this unhealthy microbiome in my intestine. I'm using just using myself as an example. When people are yeah. taking supplements, Karen, and this microbiome isn't healthy, is it? Are they wasting their money? Are they throwing it out the window? It sounds to me like the microbiome is the very first step. Period. Am I, am Absolutely, I that's such that an correctly? important thing. You have, yeah, it's such an important thing to bring up, and I'm so glad you did. One of the things I tell people is, you know, the old saying is, "You are what you eat." It's not. It's actually, you are what you absorb, right? And, and the ability to absorb and, and utilize um, nutrients, whether it's vitamins, minerals, herbal supplements, all of those things are completely dependent on the health of the microbiome and thus the health of your intestinal lining. For example, celiac patients. Celiac patients or people that are really gluten sensitive um, tend to present with higher rates of osteoporosis, tooth decay, and other issues that are symptomatic of poor absorption of vitamin K, vitamin D, vitamin E, and vitamin A. So it's known that people with that kind of um, celiac-associated inflammation in the gut don't absorb the fat-soluble vitamins. They almost absorb almost none of it. And so unless you fix the gut and you get the spores in and you make sure that the gut is healthy and ready to be able to absorb and utilize nutrients, you really aren't getting the benefit out of all of the other nutrients that you're taking. So that's a really important point to bring up. And that's the same thing with making the right food decisions. You know, if, if your gut is unhealthy and, you're, and you can't break down and assimilate the nutrients from the healthy food choices you're making, you're really not getting all the benefits from making all of those many times difficult, you know, yet healthy food choices. So, so absolutely, that's the first thing one should do is fix the microbiome, fix the intestinal lining so that all the other choices you make can actually function better. Karen, I have one last question, and it's, it's one of those, you know, the elephant in the room questions for so many people, especially our thyroid community. I mean, we've got, <laughs> what, 60% uh, rate of obesity in the United States, and thyroid patients mm-hmm. probably are a much higher percentage of dealing with, you know, uh, being overweight. And then, of course, we end up with the metabolic syndrome and type 2 diabetes and all of the other complications of that. Um, what is there, is there relationship and have you seen science that shows that getting this microbiome uh, tightened up and back in balance and using the spore probiotics and making these other lifestyle and dietary changes to, to stop from perturbing uh, the bio, you know, microbiome, does that help people finally deal with the weight loss issue, because we've got people that are living on 800 calories a day and aren't losing weight. People that obviously yep. aren't absorbing anything nutritionally, so they're eating and gaining weight on low calorie or very healthy diet. What is the kind of this relationship there? Can people expect to get weight loss uh, back on track? Mary, you're I breaking up a little bit. No moving. I'm sorry. <laughs> 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 yeah, no, I, I think 
uh, and and as uh, Mary ended up cutting out, I you know, the, and I absolutely get the question, and that's a really important question because um, what what has been shown, uh, and and this, there's a numerous amount of publication um, publications that have supported this, is that uh, diabetic people, people who are obese, um, and and people that that tend to have higher higher risks for heart disease. Um, and then, of course, autoimmune conditions all have the same starting condition, and that's the metabolic endotoxemia. So it all starts in metabolic endotoxemia. And, but the question initially was, okay, is the condition causing the metabolic endotoxemia, meaning is the obesity causing the metabolic endotoxemia, or did the metabolic endotoxemia cause the disease, right, the, the obesity itself? The American Diabetic Association, the ADA, um, itself published studies in 2013, 2014, uh, showing that the leaky gut, the metabolic endotoxemia, comes first. That is the main driver of obesity, diabetes, heart disease, and then, of course, autoimmunity as well. So all of those symptoms, all of those things associated with Hashimoto's thyroiditis and other issues uh, and other autoimmune conditions are all driven by the same thing. And that is that continuous inflammatory uh, faucet that's open in the gut lining all the time. And it was very, very clear um, in studies done and published by the American Diabetic Association that it's the metabolic endotoxemia that comes first and drives and causes those conditions. And the crazy thing about it is you could have had the metabolic endotoxemia since you were 12 years old. You know, so you could have had... 20 years or 15 years of metabolic endotoxemia, this, this increase in, in, in toxins every time you eat food, that eventually manifested itself as obesity and then autoimmunity and then anxiety and depression and, and then diabetes and then eventually Alzheimer's, right? So all of these things are started by the same, um, by the same dysfunction in the gut and so our whole focus is if we stop this dysfunction, then we should be able to really curb the risk for all of these conditions, including the obesity part of it. And, and we're okay, seeing that already. No, no, I'm sorry. Yeah. I have to ask the question uh, because I was not breastfed and major antibiotics. I was born with kidney issues and just blah, blah, blah. So babies can be born metabolically endotoxic correct are you uh are these probiotics safe to take while people are pregnant that's probably like the most important a pregnant woman can do obviously before she gets pregnant would be ideal but any any yep. anything there yeah absolutely um it, it's it's absolutely safe and not only safe but necessary to take while you're pregnant because um again as a mom is going to be the the mom is going to be passing down the biome to the child so the mom's biome is disrupted and imbalanced and not healthy at the moment those are the microbes that that she's going to be passing on to the child and then the child starts off in life with a with a perturbed microbiome and thus a, a, you know a, a gut that's extremely leaky and an inflammatory system um that doesn't function the way it's supposed to so during pregnancy it becomes really important now assume the child is born and hopefully healthy in general, but let's say the microbiome is perturbed because of either being born C-section, not being breastfed exactly. enough, or there was antibiotics, you know, because of group B strep, there's antibiotics used. Um, you can actually give the child uh, spores. We, in our clinics, we, we go as, as young as 
two-week-old uh, babies that, ex- that are um, basically showing a lot of eczema and skin disorders already uh, that early on, or even uh, babies that don't digest mom's milk well. Um, all of those things are symptomologies of, of having a perturbation already in the biome. The baby's biome is going to fluctuate quite a bit in the first couple of years, um, but it's, it seems to be important to add these spores early on so that we start getting some, some better establishment of the right types of strains within the microbiome itself uh, at that, working, even at that age. Are you working on baby biome? <laughs> is that going to be you a know, new product yes, for, to, to help women who, like you said, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of the, the baby's uh, flora comes from a vaginal birth, correct? So a mom mm-hmm. who had a C-section or a mom who is unable to breastfeed, things like that, would this would be the perfect child candidate for a, a product like this, correct? Absolutely. And and what we're doing now is that you can open up the capsules and mix it into any kind of food the baby may be uh, eating or if the baby's not eating solid foods yet. All moms do is they open up the capsule, dump the, bot- or the powder into a little bowl and scoop a little bit on their pinky finger and just put it in the baby's mouth. Um, uh-huh. That's a simple way of doing it as well. But we are developing... Uh, and we'll be launching a syrup version of it. So it's a shelf-stable syrup um, that you could just give the baby a dropper full, and and that gives them all of the um, the spores that they need. And and if you imagine an ancestral baby, right? And I and I've studied babies for some time. They're quite interesting creatures. Yeah, if you really think about it, um, one of the one of the um, habits of every baby that's born is to put everything in their mouth. In right, mouth, and yeah. babies, yeah, babies, in, including their own feet, right? They put their own feet in their mm-hmm. mouth. Babies sample their environment with their mouth, and if you imagine an ancestral baby that's put, that's born and then put in the dirt, that baby's putting dirt and rocks and dried dung and all that in their mouth. And why are they doing that? Why is that instinct right. still there with babies? And that's because they're trying to sample and get a bunch of the, mic- the environmental microbes into their system. You know, that's an evolutionary adaptation that babies have, have developed. And, of course, after the microbiome has been established, after about a year and a half or so, um, they, they lose that, that instinct to put everything in the mouth. Um, but early on, that's what babies do, and that's the reason they're doing it, is they're trying to get the environment into their body. I have single-handedly decided that you are going to fix the world. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, we are really hoping. I mean, if you think about it, you know, the I'm number not kidding. one just cause. Just as a note, Karen, <laughs> I'm not kidding. I, you honest, I have, I, this is my favorite show, honestly. I, it has been so easy to understand you, and you have covered the range. I mean, just, I have enjoyed this so much. I, I can't even begin to, to tell you, and it, so important. I mean, this is the key center of health. Is got everything from brain issues, Absolutely. autoimmunity. You know, I mean, just honestly, I get it. I'm, I'm not horsing with you. I'm not playing with you. I am dead serious. I get it. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I, 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 I totally appreciate hearing that because we're we're working really hard on it, and we truly believe it can change the world because. You know, a 2015 study published that showed that this metabolic endotoxemia, what we've been talking about, is the number one cause of mortality and morbidity worldwide, right? It's the number one killer of humans worldwide. And imagine all the people that we could 
save if we just fix their microbiome, all of those lives that we can improve, um, and then and what they can go on to do for the world around us, right? I mean, if if someone is suffering from Hashimoto's and they have all of the symptomologies associated with it, how productive can they really be in 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 their society, in their world? They're just trying to get through day to day, right? And 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 they can't be a hundred percent of themselves. And if we can take away that burden from them by just fixing their gut, then that can allow them to go on and live their lives to the fullest. And they probably make an amazing impact in the world around them. And, um, and, and that's really the, what's the, the beauty of this is it really comes down to something quite simple is how your body deals with food and how your microbiome deals with food. And, and we've got seven clinical trials right now in the works to prove that what we're doing actually has a significant impact on overall health, and, and it's absolutely exciting. This is this is just incredible information. And like Tiffany uh, said, Kieran, I I'm absolutely blown away. I had heard uh, about your reputation from folks who said that you were absolutely fascinating and you did not disappoint. I learned so much. Uh, about probiotics and what's going on with the immune system and the microbiome, and it's absolutely fascinating. So I just wanted to um, wrap things up for people, and so we've been listening to Kiran Krishnan, who is a microbiologist and essentially Mr. Gut Health and Mr. Probiotics, um, expert, guru on all of these subjects. Kiran, can you tell people how they can find out more about you and what uh, what you're up to and the products that you were talking about today, these spore-based probiotics? Yeah, absolutely. You know, find me on Facebook. It's just it's my own uh, personal uh, Facebook page and, and uh, do a friend request, and then you'll get a lot of my posts that I do on Facebook. If you go on YouTube and you, and you search my name, uh, which is K-I-R-A-N, the last name is K-R-I-S-H-N-A-N. If you just put my first and last name in there, plus microbiome, you'll find dozens and dozens of talks and, and presentations and webinars on there. Um, also, feel free to go on um, Thrive Probiotic. That's the retail version. There's a, there's a bunch of information on there on the research that we're doing, the write-ups and all that, or um, microbiomelabs.com. Either one of those has a lot of information on there. I also did a number of webinars with the Rebel Health Tribe group. Um, so we have about 14 webinars on there in different aspects of the microbiome with specific conditions like gut-brain connection, autoimmunity, obesity, overgrowth, and infections, and so on. So we've done a lot of work in all of that area. And, uh, and then hopefully, um, you know, again, uh, on, this, uh, on this wonderful program as well. That's fantastic. So, folks. We will have links up at the web page so people can find uh, Kieran and uh, learn more about him and listen to his uh, wonderful explanations of everything. Um, but I, I want to thank you for being, uh, being on the show today because this has just been life-changing and so informative for me. You are, yeah, you are so welcome, and thank you guys for this opportunity because everything I do would mean nothing if I didn't have a venue to be able to get this information out to people and and i want to thank you guys for creating such venues and 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 getting people to a place where they can learn um and so i'm i'm eternally grateful for being able to have this opportunity to talk about 
what we're doing and, and the new understanding of everything. So thank you as well. Well, you have a perpetual uh, invitation from Thyroid Nation. Anytime you come up with anything and you want a bullhorn, you please contact Mary, Dana, or myself, and we will get you on. It's a perpetual invitation. I have enjoyed this so much. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm extremely flattered, and I will take you up on that because so, we have so much I, coming I hope up you do. in terms of the research. So we will. Absolutely. Yeah, I look forward to it again. Awesome, Kieran. Thank you so much, and you have a fabulous day. Thank you. You too. Bye, Mary. Thank you. Bye, bye. <sighs> I I tell you, that was awesome. I I know I'm a simple person with simple words, but that was awesome. <laughs> it, it, it it was Jeez. one of the best one of the best presentations I've ever heard about anything related to nutrition and gut health it was absolutely it was it was life-changing I mean I am I am ready to get this uh spore-based probiotic you know immediately I want to run out to the store right now so and you are the guru of thyroid so that is an impressive compliment to him just yeah I, I'm oh, seriously like I'm, the ultimate flower field. I am in the flower field, and like you said, I'm going to start Googling and find that probiotic, and I'm going to start with that Just Thrive probiotic until I can find a practitioner, but I'm in. I'm in. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and I, I, I hope that folks listening have been as you know impacted as we were by what Karen had to say because the idea that in 30 days you can completely remake your microbiome and shore up your immune health and your gut health is that's pretty amazing. And that's you know, everything's talking foundation for the house. You know, we're not going to run around and put up photos on the walls and cur- hang curtains until we've got the house built. And it sounds to me totally. like the house has to, you know, the, the bottom, you know, foundational element is getting that microbiome uh, tightened up and getting our gut health in shape. And then, we eat well and do good things for ourselves, but that's right. the step that has, you can't bypass that or nothing else you're doing is going to work as well. It's, it's so logical, right, Mary? I mean, you just, it's, it's, I have chills right now. Like it's so I simple know. and it makes so much sense when you look at what he's said about, you know, ancestral and the spores and we don't have them anymore and, and just, I'm, I'm in. Well, you can find all things Kieran and the probiotics that he has developed, uh, just repeating a couple sites, and I will go on the Hashi's group. I need to go back and listen to the end of the show. Uh, for the additional sites that he had mentioned, I will post them on the Hashi's group, uh, www.gomegaspore.com. There's also www.peakbiotics.com. And then he mentioned as well the one that uh, you can purchase the lower dose, which is the Just Thrive Probiotics. That is also one of his. And let's do this. That's all i got to say. <laughs> I, I agree 100%. Um, I think we should all be thinking about getting on these probiotics and making these other uh, dietary and lifestyle changes that he's talking about. Uh, it just it seems like a no-brainer. Why not? It, it you know it, it's going to do so much amazing things for our health. So I'm on board. Mm-hmm. 
All right. As always, a very big thank you to our listeners, Mary and I. Mary, thank you so much. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to uh, to help us today. And um, for the listeners, if you get a moment and you enjoyed the show, leave us a little review on iTunes. And, um, yeah, if you've missed any of the Thyroid Nation Radio podcasts, you can super, super, super easy download and listen to them at your leisure. I, for one, am going to go back and listen to this particular podcast because in my own health journey, that is the 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 big kicker. So I, I would like to go back and listen to it all again. He was amazing to listen to. But uh, you can download uh, at your leisure, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Please leave us a review. You can check out Thyroid Nation Essentials at thyroidnation.com. Wonderful, clean, preservative, and synthetic-free skincare, just like Kieran mentioned. This is why we designed this particular line, specifically designed uh, with essential oils to help ease thyroid symptoms. No chemicals. I always tell people, you know, particularly when they're smelling things, that with essential oils, you always want to go with the scent that you're drawn to. There's a a conversation there that sounds kind of hocus pocus, but he he nailed that topic as well on individuality and and how the the microbiome plays a role in that. Just just amazing. But you can check out Thyroid Nation Essentials at thyroidnation.com. And I highly I don't know recommend I... those essential oils. They're wonderful. Um, oh, thank some you, of Mary. My <laughs> and I use them for everything. I spray them on myself, spray them around the house, I spray my dogs, everybody gets sprayed with the essential oil. So, Oh, and I have to just kind of tell a quick story uh, from yesterday's farmer's market. We had a child uh, with a severe spasticity problem, and I gave them a couple inhalers because she has a tendency to get very uptight at the farmer's market, but they like to bring her out and enjoy the day and everything. And um, the brain chill... Dana will love this. I haven't even had a chance to tell her. Um, Brain Chill Inhaler helped relax her quite a bit. So I'm really, really excited about the future play of essential oils in the medical community and and looking for some good research on that. I'm actually going to contact Kieran because he did mention essential oils, and I know as a microbiologist he has to have fiddled with something with that. So I want to know. I want to know what it is. So that was very, very cool. I know, right? When he said that, I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> oh, lost my mind. <laughs> and a of lot course, of good ideas, that's for sure. I know, right? And he was so smart. You know that he just, you know that he is, you know, essential oils are very popular. And, of course, the research on them is, is fairly limited. Uh, and people can say anything they want to, but really research hardcore scientific research is fairly limited. We're starting to see much more, particularly on inhalation uh, in the PubMed forum and the medical community. So I'm super, super excited about the role that they will be able to play uh, in significant uh, medical arenas. So I'm waiting. So I'm going to have to ask him. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Mary, where can, I know, right? And I, I love, I'm unfortunately or fortunately, however you want to look at it, I'm very scientific-based, so I don't usually like to say anything unless I've read it and it's it's fairly credible because there's a lot of misinformation floating around out there. So 
I love it. So I'm just dying to know if he has studied any of that, and um, I'll let you know if he if he has. Sounds good. All right, Mary, where can anybody follow Thyroid Nation? Dana is all over. She's amazing. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, you can follow Thyroid Nation at thyroidnation.com, on Facebook at Thyroid Nation, as well as in the Hashi and Graves Facebook support group. Uh, You can find Thyroid Nation on Twitter and Instagram. And, of course, back here on weekly Thyroid Nation radio podcast. So uh, if you can't find Thyroid Nation, your brain fog needs to be addressed immediately because they're all over the place with wonderful information and a community of uh, thriving thyroid patients who are really uh, out there to feel well and live well. And a kudos to Dana. Uh, Dr. Holtorf uh, mentioned her as one of the top ten thyroid groups hitting in at number three. I'm so proud of her personally. I'm honored to be involved in uh, in Thyroid Nation Essentials and as well as the radio program. And uh, Mary, I just, I really just want to take a minute to thank you for, for taking the time with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure and honor for me, particularly with this, this guest. I mean, it was, it was perfect. I lucked into it. It was a. It was wonderful to to uh, to sit in for Dana. It was a great, uh, fun working with you, Tiffany, and um, it was it was especially fun because Kieran was such an amazing, amazing inspiration uh, to talk with. So uh, all good. I had a great time. Thank you. Awesome. Well, this is Tiffany, your Thyroid Nation Thriver from Joshua Tree and Mary Showman. Actually, I said that for you bringing the collective voice of thyroid thrivers worldwide so that together, united, we heal. And we are. Thank you so much, Mary. Thanks, Tiffany. Bye, everyone.